Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire and his comrade. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Hello and welcome back to the Stateside Madness podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And we have a little bit of a surprise today. We're doing a little bit of a, a change up to what we were originally going to do. So uh, I know that we had said that this was going to be the episode on the liberty of Norton Folgate, but we have a special surprise for our listeners. Um, so we are going to be joined by Madness's current and you could say um, sort of longtime tour manager, Steve Martin. So recently we've been connecting with Steve and uh, he was nice enough to offer to do the podcast with us and we just couldn't pass that up. We we're very, very excited for it. Yeah, this is really going to be a cool conversation. I, I have so many questions for Steve. This is going to be awesome. So for those of you that are wondering about the Liberty of Norton Folgate, which, you know, again, I'm excited about that. We've been working very hard on that episode. We're going to postpone that. So the Liberty of Norton Folgate is going to be a two-part episode. We're going to do part one, episode 23. That's going to be on June 27th. And then part two, which is episode 24. That'll be July 11th. Polly, you and I are kicking around some ideas of possibly doing a Facebook watch party. That's right. Uh, that would be new for us. And we might be trying to show the Julian Temple uh, concert recording of Liberty of Norton Folgate. Yeah, and I think we're going to do that on July 4th, right? Independence Day, Liberty of Norton Folgate. See what oh, I did there? Oh, I get it. Yeah. Um, hey, have you heard anything, Polly, about our uh, last fan engagement episode? Yeah, uh, that I have. And those of you who check, um, uh, you know, the different groups uh, dedicated to madness will probably have heard a little bit of this. But uh, it was very well received, a lot of chatter about it, and a lot of uh, messaging to us, uh, folks thanking us and saying it was a great episode. That's always really, really cool to hear. Um, as I've said a few times, I'm surprised that people uh, listen to me or listen to us, I guess, in the first place. So it's fantastic to know how well it's been received. So thank you so much. And we had some really, really good guests in that fan engagement episode too. Uh, the really lively discussion that uh, ensued. So, so thank you again to Megan, Maria, Molly, and Scott for participating. It, it was a great episode. We really love the way it turned out. All right. So Chris, what time is it? Showtime.
is Steve Martin. Steve has been the tour manager for Madness for what 15 years now Steve? I think it's longer actually. I think it's on and off. Um, I've kind of shared the responsibilities uh, mainly with a guy called Andy Franks for about, about 20 years um, and we're both quite, quite uh, sounds a bit egotistical but we're quite um, respected tour managers in this business so we kind of get other other artists that we work with. Um, and if the boys are not that busy, then we have to kind of unfortunately prioritize the other bands. So we, were, we used to share the load and believe me, it is a load sometimes. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is really cool having you. So what does a tour manager do exactly? Well, tour manager in the old days and sometimes these days, um, he's kind of the, the kind of head, the head guy. Um, he, he normally gets employed by the artist or the artist manager, and he comes in and he uh, he works out what, how much money the guys want to spend on a tour. Obviously, they work out what their gross income is going to be and what their net income is going to be. More importantly, and then I'm kind of then go away and um, they tell me what sort of percentage they would like to to have left in the in the bank, and then I go away and I then cut the cloth accordingly. So I. Will then go in and uh, with, with madness it's obviously there's six principles but we have a, three brass players and we have a percussion player so i employ them and then we put the production together and we do the the, the travel and all the logistics and all the and all the money um and that's what a, that's what a tour manager does and underneath the tour manager is the production manager who well, not underneath, it's kind of, because I do a lot of production as well. So we kind of work very close together with the band on producing the, the, the production, the, you know, the element of the show and putting quite a lot of people on the road and touring with the band. That really sounds like a lot of work. It can be. Um, it, it's, um, it's some, some tours I've done, it's been harder i mean sometimes you can have as many as sort of 20 or 25 trucks of equipment madness um probably do five or six trucks so you know that's how we tend to gauge how busy and how how um how involved the tour can be but um yeah madness tend to keep it um they don't sort of spend vast fortunes on their shows but they do you know they 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 they, they always want the show to be right and they always are happy to put their hands in their pockets and make it you know, a good spectacle for the for, for the uh, for the um, the fans and that. So, Steve, um, you've worked with a variety of artists, so you've seen the whole spectrum then of the uh, sort of the fancier, probably more um, dynamic uh, tours, and then probably seen a fair amount of the maybe more economical tours. Um, yeah. You know, what are some of the highlights from the very, I suppose, either end of the spectrum? Um, I think the highlight for me, I did the Live Aid, um, the, the, the original Live Aid show at Wembley Stadium in 1985. I was working for the promoter who was called Harvey Goldsmith. 
and I was also working for an artist on the day called Nick Kershaw. Um, I was quite young, um, relatively young in those days. So that's probably still the highlight, um, the scale of a show uh, that I've been involved in. And it's still, oh, it's incredible. Just to think back on that, on that uh, I think it was June uh, 80, 85. Um, so that was a wonderful day. Um, working with artists such as David Bowie and Peter Gabriel um, is another kind of, um, was a great, great joy. And... Um, uh, incredible artists and very, very, very sort of aware of, of the kind of show that they wanted to do and uh, very large scale tour. But I've, I've also done sort of small clubs and, uh, and pubs and, um, and theatres. So, you know, um, you know, I was always a, a massive fan of madness. Um, always. I mean, uh, I was a, a fan right from the very beginning. So, you know, to, to get the call to, to go and work with the guys, honestly and truly, was, was, was wonderful for me. I still, I still pinch myself when I'm at the side of the stage, you know. How did that come about? How did you get to be Madness's tour manager? Um, I think what it was is that I think the, the original, the management they, they've got now, I've been with the boys for about 15 years, and I had about five years with a previous manager, a guy called Peter Rudge, who who's a very well-known uh, manager, he used to be a tour manager, funny enough, for the Rolling Stones and the Who. Uh, and he, uh, I was working with another artist that he managed and um, he asked me to, to come in for a meeting with, um, I think it was Barzo actually. I, I met Barzo in Camden Town uh, in a wine bar. Um, I think he was the only member of the band to turn up, um, which is not unusual. And um, uh, that, was, uh, that was good. And I, you know, fortunately, I've got on with the guys ever since. I've, um, I've, had, a, I've had a fantastic uh, 20 years. I tell you why I didn't do it, because I wasn't there. I don't believe it just isn't fair. You listen to their side, now listen to mine. Come think of the story, show your family sometime. So, Steve, I suppose uh, maybe something we should talk about is the Lady Killers tour and offer a little perspective on that, if you could, because I guess for all intents and purposes, it is a Christmas tour. And that's something that there's not um, really the equivalent of in the United States, unless it's to a more purposeful type of Christmas tour where the theme of it is. Yeah, you guys Christmas have a lot of sort of radio show tours there. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of radio stations have these kind of um, these kind of big big kind of shows in the arenas in America around the same time. Yeah, it's something that the band have been doing now for oh my god, well since I've been with them to be honest with you, they tend to do it sort of every two years. They used to do it every year, but I think they just felt that it was um, possibly best just to do it every couple of years. And it's been, I mean, we're still playing the same venues. We haven't sort of scaled down the size of the venues in that time. You know, we're still playing the O2s in London. I don't know if your American um, audience is aware, but it's about 
15, you know, a bit like a staple center in LA or whatever, you know, um, Madison Square in New York. Um, and this year, we've actually, not only are we doing the O2 in London, um, because of um, the, the, the demand for tickets, we're, um, we're now also adding a second show at, um, at the Wembley Arena, so, which is incredible for this band to be doing two. That's probably about, well, it could be as many as 30,000 people of the two venues, you know? That's really amazing to me. I mean, especially after all these years that they're still drawing that kind of audience. That, that's yeah, fabulous. It is. And the great thing is also, we've also got another London band joining us for the first time. And that's Squeeze, of course, who, who I used to, I used to be the tour manager of Squeeze as well. And they're, they're um, I'm from South London, Madness are from North London, but Squeeze is from South London. So it's going to be North and South, uh, you know, London bands on tour, which is, quite scary um and uh it's so uh, i think i think squeeze have also been an amazing addition to the bill as well i, I mean i think I, personally especially after that well after the pandemic hopefully after the pandemic it's going to be a really hot ticket for most people I, i'm i'm jealous i i i i love squeeze i wish that that oh my we were god be, that tour would come over here that would be awesome one of one of my favorite bands as well. I'm so fortunate to work with both both the bands, and um, we've we've not really done much planning yet. I mean, we we're just working on the budgeting, like I said, just in the way of what we can afford. Um, but um, we're going to. I mean, Chrissy Boyer and Mark Bedford tend to be quite heavily involved in the uh, in the production and the design of the show, and we have a fantastic production manager called uh, Pete Posier, who's um, who works very closely with the boys. And um, we were all together on the recent um, stream at the Palladium as well, where we all, we, we put that production together as well. Now that's the uh, the getup that you're talking about, right? Yes, yeah, we filmed that at the Palladium about a month ago. That, that was absolutely amazing. We watched oh, it live good. over here. It was so, so well done. How did it come about? Well, it was very, it was very difficult to be honest. Um, I mean, in fairness, the um, I think it was um, I think the management um, Gary and, and Hugh um, deserve a lot of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. They, they they really they really drove it. They really wanted. I think the idea everyone knew that the band were kind of had been probably too quiet around the first time the pandemic hit, and um, most artists and most bands were trying to get online and doing a stream, and we were. We wasn't slow on the uptake, but we wasn't. We were very keen to try and do something different. We didn't want to just go into um, uh, a studio with like three or four cameras and you know and just sort of do a very quick sort of film and then bosh it out onto the onto the internet. So the the, the, the management we were very very keen for us to do like something special, and I think obviously uh, we then had the idea of of doing it somewhere like the London Palladium. Um, and we got Charlie involved because um, I think Suggs was a friend of Charlie's, the uh, the guy who wrote the um, who wrote the script and that. And um, but then we had lots of problems uh, because of the pandemic. We had lots of issues with um, social distancing. We had a, little, a few problems with the financing. We had a few problems with getting the, the right production company involved because we wanted to work with someone that we could trust and someone that we felt could not only film a concert correctly, but also 
do the kind of vaudeville and the theater and the, and the kind of sketches as well. And we, we struggled initially to find someone to, that we were really happy with. So we, we got it, it was postponed twice. And uh, at one point, I honestly didn't think it was going to happen. But um, as I said, the management, in fairness, they, they kept pushing and pushing. And, um, and well, the boys spent quite a lot of money on it. In fairness to the boys, they, they knew there was no money in it for them. They knew, you know, we, we would have had to have sold like a, a lot of tickets to even, you know, to make a profit. But the boys were very, very keen, genuinely, to give something back to the fans because we've, we've been away for so long. And we, especially, you know, we lost the American tour, which I know is a huge thing for you guys. And it was for us as well. We were all so looking forward to it. Um, fortunately, it's been pushed back till next year. And that's, fingers crossed, that's going to go ahead. So we were very keen to, to do um, a special and not just a, a concert, a, a live concert on, online. Well, you're um, not jumping on the uh, literal bandwagon, I guess, um, and doing uh, live streams early on in the pandemic was um, probably kind of beneficial for you because early, uh, excuse me, early live streams, um, I don't know that anybody really wrapped their head around what to do. And some of the bands, um, it was almost um, uh, depressing uh, watching some of the early live streams because people would uh, instinctively wait for uh, audience applause. Um, uh, the banter that uh, they'd have in between songs was just not uh, not there. So I think uh, taking a step back and trying to figure it out really served you well in the get-up. That's very astute of you to say that. And it's really good that you, you noticed that. Well, we, we also felt the same. And um, we and in fairness, we we had big concerns about even doing our at the Palladium. We, yeah, as you as you guys know better than most, this band thrives on a live audience. I mean, every band does, of course, but when you're playing that kind of high octane kind of uh, music that the boys play, and there's a lot of audience participation points in the songs which have grown in, in the years, and it was even it was, even for us, it was still very weird feel because we filmed. The show is as, as live as possible as we could. Obviously, we had we had two sets. We had the the uh, the Barzo uh, 1978 bedrooms, you know, rehearsal, and then we had the the normal uh, uh, Palladium show. So, uh, we, we did both try to do those two sets as live as possible, back to back. Um, we had to stop occasionally because of a technical issue, but it was very strange not having that audience at the end of each song. And the boys, I know the boys, some of the, at least two or three of the boys were not exactly on board with the stream idea anyway because of that concern. Because, you know, it's who wants to play, you know, it's, it, it is, you, you mentioned the word, I think you said it was uh, depressing. Who wants to look out a load of empty seats, you know, and, and it, it's difficult, but we... You know, I think we managed to uh, to get by, and and I'm really pleased you enjoyed it. I, I I was I was genuinely very pleased with the way it. Um, you know, I was pleased with Paul Weller. I thought thought Weller was fantastic as well, and um, um, you know, so I was I was I was very pleased the way it all turned out as well. Then the boys played great. How did you get Paul Weller and Roland Gift involved? Well, Roland Gift is a friend of Mike Barson's, and they used to sort of 
waved to each other in the street in London, not much more than that. It was like, oh, oh you're the guy from, oh, you're the guy who's been playing young cannibals. And that was it really, like a, a nonchalant wave, you know? Um, uh, I think Subs may have, Subs knows everybody, but um, Subs may have known him as well. Um, I think also once he, um, he slept on the boys, in some of the boys' bedrooms on a, on a, on a tour once, um, before he was in Fine Young Cannibals. That's, that's what Chrissy Boy says as well. I mean, I, you'd like to think that Chrissy Boy would have given me his bed, but uh, that was never going to happen. Um, so, um, yeah, so, um, and then Paul, um, Paul is um, a longtime friend and a fan of the band. Um, we did a concert at the, um, in, on Clapham Common um, um, a couple of years ago. Beautiful baking hot day and, um, and Paul decided to come down and we um, we did Heatwave, I think it was. I think maybe, actually, maybe it was, I can't remember. But we um, we had two girl backing singers as well who, who were friends of mine who got up and uh, and we did the rehearsal backstage in, um, you know, in, a, in one of the porter cabins, you know, literally 15 minutes before they went on stage. And um, so, and Wello is such a, a humble, lovely, lovely, down-to-earth guy. I mean... We did a rehearsal. The boys have got this um, this new complex, um, a, a studio that we've built in the last eighteen months, uh, a rehearsal room, which is where we rehearse for the shows. And we also the boys also write songs. And Paul came, just turned up on his own there. We did one hour with him rehearsal, and he was he was incredible. He just gets it. Yeah, Weller, Weller always delivers. And yeah, the Heat Wave uh, cover was fantastic. Um, I only got to see it, you know, on, on YouTube over here. But um, seeing Roland Gift was great, I think particularly for American fans because... Um, yeah, they have a big, he, they have a big band, yeah. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a great deal more uh, versatile than um, we remember over here because everybody remembers him really as the guy with the falsetto thing from, from that yeah. song. Um, but yeah, he's just incredibly talented, and yeah. I was uh, I was surprised a great deal more by him than Weller because uh, Suggs and, and, and Paul seem to hang out quite a bit. But yeah, uh, so that that was a little expected. But Roland Gift, that was that that made it for me. I think that was probably oh, my really? favorite. What, what did you What did you think of the song we we chose or he chose to do on that on that show at the Blame? Did you enjoy the song? Absolutely, yeah. I think it de definitely demonstrates, um, you know, uh, the the range that uh, he's really not known for over here. Yeah, so it, it was his choice. We um, originally we was we had a Dusty Springfield song lined up for him, and the boys had rehearsed that, and it's like it was sounding good. And then he sort of threw us a bit of a curveball and said, "Oh, it sounds good, but I just don't like the song." And he said, "How about Concrete and the Clay?" So um, that was, and then the boys wanted to to do it, but I wanted to do it in a more sort of reggae kind of dub kind of way, you know, and, um, and yeah, I think it worked. I think it worked okay. I think it worked really well in the end. The concrete and the 
Um, so we were quite pleased with, um, with or both the artists were, and they both, they were both so easy to work with as well. And um, it, it was just great having everyone back together again, because that's the first time, not only the band, but, you know, obviously we have the same crew, you know, we had the same crew for years as well. So it was just wonderful, not only to have the band back together, but also all our crew as well. And that's got to be really hard too on the crew with the, the pandemic and the, the loss of work. It's been, it's been, I, I can't tell you, we've probably been the worst hit of, of anybody because, um, you know, we, um, we can't do anything uh, at all, really. We have none of us have worked at all. I mean, if you take the stream at the Palladium out of the equation, um, some of these guys haven't worked since last January. Um, that was the last time we worked with Madness. Um, so, um, yeah, it's been hugely difficult and it's not going to get any better now, at least until, you know, the autumn and maybe the winter or the fall. <laughs> has, has it been, has it been really bad over there? Because like everything over here is starting to open up now. now yeah, that we have the I know, I'm hearing some good things and I'm seeing so many, you know, people getting, I mean, we're doing amazing with our vaccinations. I mean, like you guys have, since you've had a, a change of leadership, um, it's, uh, but yeah, and no, I'm seeing, I've got a lot of friends in America and, uh, oh my God, I mean, even like I've got 32, 33 year old friends who've had both jabs, you know. So we're doing well, we're doing good. Um, we're hoping they're gonna open up 100% in two weeks time, but now of course they've started to uh, make noises that it's gonna be delayed. And they're very clever the way they, they drip feed information to the media to soften the blow. So. It could be um, maybe possibly middle of July before we get back to complete normality. But the other thing about our tour is, um, and the other with the promoters who, who we we need we need promoters to be able to do our shows. We can't we can't afford, and neither can the uh, the promoters to do socially distant shows. So we need to have full capacities to 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 pay for the production. I mean, we have to we have to spend. I can't tell you, but it's a huge amount of money just before we even leave to leave to go on the road. So um, we have to have full capacities to be able to, to make this work. And that's what we're all praying for. Well, for our listeners, number one, get vaccinated if you're not already vaccinated. But then as these venues start opening up, please, please start getting out start supporting live music, start seeing these bands. Uh, this is a lot of people's livelihood and they, they really, they need that that leg up right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, we're really looking forward to coming to see you guys next year. I mean, I've not done a US tour with a band um, and um, for me, it's gonna be, I mean, I, I love some of the venues that we're playing as well. And um, we genuinely cannot wait to play in front of American audiences. I wish it was longer, um, but I suppose we just have to be a little bit, um, you know, we have to put our toe in the water, see how it goes. But um, we really hope, and we know that you know you guys are going to have a fantastic. Well, are you guys hoping to come to the shows? Definitely, definitely. Matter of fact, uh, I think we're going to be planning some stateside madness meetups to coincide with some oh, of the shows. Marvelous. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, we're I think meet and greets before the show and uh, have a glass of wine or two after, possibly. Well, that's <laughs> awesome. And I think Polly, you're going to just about every show, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm going um, to every show but uh, Las Vegas. So, oh, right. Yeah. You're a Vegas man then. 
I, I, I don't want to uh, visit the town where my child's college fund resides. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of Vegas personally. <laughs> oh, I love, I love Vegas. I mean, I was married in Vegas. I have two aunties that live in Vegas. Um, I just don't know about being at an outdoor festival in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it, listen, it, I, love it, to, I would love to party there and I would love to, um, yeah, just go and have a bit of a, a, a nice weekend. But working there, mm, yeah, yeah, it's a different, but, um, different. Yeah, no, but um, just, I mean, I, I love the Greek, I love the Greek theater in LA. That's something I'm, I, I love going back to that venue. Um, um, and I think it's the, um, what venue are we doing in New York? Is it, um, uh, Hammerstein. Yeah, oh, yeah, Hammerstein. Yeah, yeah. So that's that should be good. That's what we call a good old knees up, I reckon, in that venue. That'd be great. What What can we expect on this American tour, especially for somebody like me who's never seen Madness live before? Oh my God, really? Um, oh. I listen. It's it, they, they are they are fantastic. I mean, the great thing I like. You know what I love about this band is there's so many other bands who still. You know, are under a banner of a name that they've had for many years, and there's like maybe only one original member, you know. But these are, you know, six of the seven original guys, you know. Um, and all we do is we augment the brass, we, you know, just to give Tomo a bit of a hand. Um, you know, we've got this great brass um, section that we've had for a number of years, and we have Nez on percussion, and it's it's an hour and 20 minutes of just absolutely, you know, greatest hits, but um, with the same energy, uh, the same tempo, you know, they, they could still be 20, 20, 22, 23 years old up there. Um, and um, I think um, good light show, great sound, um, good video. Um, but the most important thing of all is, you know, just the boys having a, a, an incredible time on stage because they are, they are just also fantastic musicians. You know, that's um, what people sometimes, they don't get enough credit sometimes, you know, um, they really are. I mean, every single guy in the band is a great musician and it's sometimes people forget that. Um, so, um, it, and I think they, I think they, they really enjoy playing America. They uh, they enjoy America and Australia um, because we 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 tour a lot in Europe and the UK. So coming out to America and Australia is always is always nice. To believe, but there was a time when I was younger, and all the nights and days were long, and every day just getting stronger, like a sunflower in the sun, in the sun. I think. I know for a fact that we would like to do it in America more often than we and certainly than we have done. Um, and I mean, we would like to do it yearly if we could, or certainly every two years. What I mean by putting our toe in the water is ticket sales are amazing. Um, but I agree, we, you know, and this is I'm not knocking the agent or whatever, but it's a shame that we're not playing places like Chicago as well. But that's what I mean about maybe 
you know, it's they're probably um, looking at locations that are what are considered as a, a kind of a hotbed of, of madness fans. But it would be nice just to maybe broaden broaden it slightly and maybe go to locations that we haven't been before. Because um, that's, you know, maybe do, you know, instead of a week of, of dates or 10 days, maybe do like a month or whatever. Um, the band don't like being away too long from home, that those days are gone. But um, I certainly think they could handle two or three weeks away in the States. Um, and uh, that's something that we would like to, I know for a fact that we would really like that to happen. So I'm curious, um, is the set list that the band plays in, in America, is it the same set list that they play in the UK or do they play more of the hits in America because uh, maybe the fans don't know a lot of their more recent stuff? Um, well, it's, 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 we, what we tend to find is that we the set is almost, always kind of a greatest hit set anyway. We always, we always have probably 10, you know, what I call top 10 hits. I know that not necessarily in America, but I was see everywhere in the world we tend to play all the hits then they also have a lot of favorite album tracks from the first album perhaps and then also but they're always very very keen to also play new songs they 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 respect and they understand about you know the retrospective um uh the, the, the kind of ret retrospectivity of the band they have to respect that they have to play the songs that everyone wants to hear but they also still write songs and they still record albums and it's really important to them that um and that it, it's quite it's quite incredible just a few weeks ago we was in the studio and they were writing songs together and um you know they're still writing some great stuff and they they love to play it um and it keeps them fresh as well not you know it's very important that they you know they just that that keeps them on their toes when they have three or four new songs in the set um, I think they really enjoy that that uh, aspect of the show. I think what a lot of people really like to know, uh, maybe it's Madness, maybe it's one of the other bands you work with, but uh, you know, being a tour manager and seeing all the hijinks or even just seeing things go very, very wrong, uh, you must have a story in there of something just virtually inexplicable. Well, I'm not sure if it, if it went wrong, it kind of did, and it kind of, was it inexplicable? Um, we were playing um, a festival in Paris. And, you know, I meant to Google the date, so and I forgot forgot to do it. But um, it was uh, Rock on Seine uh, in Paris. It was a big, big out, hundred thousand people, and there was two stages, and um, Oasis were on stage A, and we were on stage B. Each stage was on different parts of the of the site. So um, anyway, we we um, we played our show, and well, first of all, we we'd heard rumors. Originally, the promoter wanted us to be on the same stage as Oasis, but um, we found out that Oasis wouldn't play on the same stage as Madness. Um, there's quite a lot. I don't know if you guys are aware. There's quite a rivalry between Manchester and and London and, and Northerners and Cockneys, you know? I don't know if you know Cockneys, but yeah, we're, we're Cockneys and they're Northerners, you know? And they, I don't know whether it was because of that or whether they were just gen genuinely concerned that, that we we mad madness was a hard act to follow. I, I think I would be, if I was a band like Oasis, even though 
huge at the time and an amazing, you know, repertoire of songs. But one, one band you do not want to go on after is Madness. And uh, so they made us play on this other stage. We had an incredible performance. And Stubbs was having a little bit of fun at Oasis' expense. And um, we finished the show. It was incredible. The boys came back to the dressing room, which was next door to Oasis' dressing room. And we were sweating, or the, the, the boys were sweating and toweling off and having a few lagers. And um, next thing, we just heard this incredible commotion going on next door in the, in the Oasis dressing room. And we heard stuff being thrown and guitars being chucked and, and people, like a big fight going on. And we, we poked our, our head out of our tent, our dressing room, and we saw Liam and Noel going at each other, literally with guitars, you know, trying to smash, smash each other around the head. Guitar stands being thrown. Noel's security guy stopping Liam. Liam's security guy stopping Noel. Anyway, that was the night that Oasis broke up. They, um, Noel decided there and then in that sort of 30-minute changeover period to get back into his car and drive back to the Eurostar train and go back to London. And, of course, um, Oasis... It was announced that Oasis were, were not going to perform that night. So the promoter was left with a situation that he had, he had no headliner. So he then approached um, the management and myself and Suggs to ask if we could headline the second stage uh, as well. And um, logistically, it was a problem because all our equipment was on the other stage and it was all being packed down and put into a truck. Um, and after some quite heavy negotiations, very heavy negotiations, we uh, decided to get our gear brought over to the Oasis stage, set up, and we then performed another show the same evening on the other stage instead of Oasis. So, um, so we had Noel going back to London on the train, and we were we were we ended up performing twice in Paris on the same night, and the Oasis boys and the rest of their band were you know, sculpt off into the, into the dark that night. And we, uh, and the boys ended up getting double bubble as we call it. Yeah. I, I love that story. And, um, I, I love Suggs's, um, little, uh, commentary on Oasis in, uh, in his stage play and, um, having seen Noel Gallagher on a train that they were all on board. And just uh, you know, being able to palpably you know, sense how uh, sad the guy was. Yes, yeah. it's quite uh, true because he 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 actually him and his brother were actually traveling separately to Paris, and we were on the same train going to Paris when we saw we saw uh, Noel, and uh, you're quite right, and he was not a happy guy. Yeah, and, and not to question um, the Gallagher brothers' motivations for why they were in music or whatever like that, but Suggs' point was that, um, you know, be in it kind of for the right reasons and for the enjoyment of it. And I have every sense um, that on the whole, Madness enjoy being rock stars. Yes, I, I, I honestly 
one thing about these guys is they they are very normal normal guys and they if they wasn't enjoying it still they wouldn't be doing it um you know I, they, they i mean to, to have this band still together after so long and as i, as I mentioned earlier to be the same band um this is very unusual it's very unusual um, um and fortunately they're, they're all in good health um they all look after themselves relatively well and we've got a few years ahead of us as well but um no they, they do they do they do really really enjoy it. i mean we, we there's certain things we have to do to make them enjoy it i mean they don't they, they you know they, they don't there's certain travel that they, they don't like doing um i i know all the, the correct buttons to press um you have to take a lot of stress out of the touring for them. Uh, they don't enjoy that. They don't like sound checking. They don't like traveling. So if we can, if we can get a nice comfortable train for two or three hours where we can have a, a bite to eat and a glass of wine, that's great. If the journey from the train station is like five minutes instead of two hours, that's great. Um, and they just like to arrive maybe one hour before the show, um, meet a few of the fans before they go on. And that keeps them. That keeps the machine well oiled. Well oiled is a good good way of putting it. And then speaking of keeping the band happy, um, I think I mentioned in my email to you, like there, there's this legend that Van Halen they had in their tour rider that they had to have a bowl of M and M's backstage with all the brown M and M's removed. So uh, does anybody does anybody in Madness have like a really bizarre? tour writer or request or anything like that not not bizarre i mean oh listen i'm 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 gonna be honest with you guys you wouldn't expect me to be any any different we have got one of the biggest ride i mean we have these things in england called off licenses where we sell booze you know the dressing room sometimes looks like a pub or an off license i've never ever seen so much booze in a dressing room and if there's not enough, we also have drinks in flight cases in case we run out. Um, they, 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 uh, and you know what? It's not, it's not necessarily for them. It's they, they always, always insist on after every show to have family and friends and a few fans back in the dressing rooms to have some drinks. They really, that's really important to them. It's, you know, they're just not the kind of band. Uh, some of the other artists I work with, they, um, you know, like the car. I've got the car waiting by the, the side of the stage, and you know, and off it goes within a, within you know while the, the band is still playing the, the last chord. But no, the, the, these boys, it's all about they really want to enjoy themselves, and they and they do, they do. Um, no, the only thing, uh, Tomo can be a bit of an old girl. Um, he likes um, he likes sushi. He likes sushi, um, and it's kind of strange because like, one thing about Tomo, now that he's an interesting character. And you think if I, if, if I could only go back in time, Tomo, when you was like 18 or 19 or 20, and if I had said to you, if you want a bit of sushi, you would have gone, do me a favour. You know, he would have just laughed at himself. But yeah, him and Mike Barson love a bit of um, uh, sushi after a show. Um, we haven't really got anything other than that, really. We don't have anything. Um, they sometimes have their own beer. They like their own, uh, they've got their own brand of beer, which they like to have as well. Um, but no, no, uh, no, we have Ryder. Um, we don't have um, 
There's not too much on it apart from booze, to be honest with you. Staggering home, the headlights throw a shadow up and upon. Friends and loved ones that have done no wrong, but no longer mean anything to me. Oh, am I fumbling on into a crystal glass that echoes a song? The enticement invites you along. Become the morning, shivering and contorted To boulder on the brink For just another sink, oh, take me down For one more round Involve me in libation Stick a rock in my foundation Well, pick up my relations And put me on probation Cause I take you down For one last round So I've got no, I've got no rock and roll Rider stories, I'm afraid. No M and M's. I mean, a lot, a lot of young bands. Um, uh, I've got this thing about riders. Is that some of the? Um, uh, how can I say? Certain artists have got the crazy riders, like like Champagne, Bollinger. You know, twenty five bottles and caviar, and, and they think they're being quite clever. They're thinking that you know, well. You know, get the promoter to provide everything that we need. But of course, there's no such thing as free lunch, and um, they're paying for it. Every single thing. If you've got a bottle of beer and a packet of crisps in your rider, um, you're, it's you're paying for it. So these some of these guys, they honestly do think that they're uh, they, they 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 keep laughing. They just can't believe how lucky they are because they've got crates and crates of champagne and caviar. But believe me, that all comes off the, uh, the you know the check at the end of it. You know. No, being a, a thrifty Yankee, I would totally like pack my own sandwiches if I was going on tour. I'd try to save every bit of that money. Well, the only thing we do spend money on, we do like we have, um, uh, especially in Europe, not so much in America, because in America you tend to use um, local catering, but we have caterers that go on the road with us the whole tour. So we've got our own chefs and we're our own cooks, and um, and we also have our own ovens and microwaves and crockery and cutlery that goes in the trucks with the lights and the, and the PA. And that's, um, to be honest with you, that's a godsend. That, that keeps everybody sane. Um, to, to eat well on the road, because um, we have a lot of people on the road. We, you know, we have, can have as many as 50 people with us, you know. So um, it's really important that uh, everyone eats really well. And that's one thing the band, like the band could save money on that, but they, they're insistent that everyone eats well and gets looked after. Right, here we go. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing to you. To you. Have you seen Jane? No, man, better catch a train. Train, you wait a long time. No, I'll catch a bite. What that a fruit? No, man, that's a fruit. Man, give me a bite. Holly, you had a, a question about um, about Tomo. Oh, Tomo! <laughs> Tomo, so, I love him. He's the, oh my god! He, if you you all think you know Tomo, and he, he, he is exactly as you can imagine. The guy is 
the most dysfunctional human being I've ever met. But my God, what an absolutely beautiful guy and what an amazing musician. Well, so the question that Polly had written here was how much money does band management put aside for bail for Tamo? But, but not only bow, but every um, uh, every trainee misses, and we have to buy another ticket. Um, every hotel room that he accidentally um, uh, messes up, we have to get another hotel room. Um, he will. We it, we he'll have to get another taxi because he's late. He'll either come down two hours early and get the time wrong, or he'll come down two hours late uh, later and get the time wrong. He'll go to the wrong uh, platform at a train station. He'll go to the wrong airport. Um, and he knows what he's like. He even says to me, he goes, look, Steve, he said, I don't, I don't mean to be like this. He said, I don't, I don't mean to be making your life difficult. But he said, I've always been the same. I, I'm just not very good with logistics, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, Tomo is, is such an such a integral part of madness, isn't he? I mean... You know, I know it's an obvious thing to say, but it's just, people don't realize how much the guy's playing. He's literally playing non-stop on every single song. Um, and he's, 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 uh, he's got bundles of energy as well. He's, uh, he's a fantastic character. So that whole, that whole thing in the getup where he's like late and then trying to get into the building, that was actually accurate. <laughs> yeah, it, oh no, that is, that's based on, in fairness to, to Charlie Hickson. Charlie, Charlie's a fan of the band and he's, you know, he's read the autobiographies and he's read, you know, I mean, he is, he, uh, Tomo is, for me, as a tour manager, well, they're all, they're all a pain in the arse at times. I mean, they are the most dysfunctional band I've ever worked with. And, you know, I've worked with 16, 17, 18 year old boy bands, but these, these guys are, I wouldn't say worse, and they're just, they're on par, you know, they, 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 they're, um, they're very hard to keep together. They're, um, they're very hard to, to, to manage. But do you know what? I wouldn't change it for anything. This is the, one of the greatest bands of all time for me. I love them. The expression that we use over here is herding cats. Yeah, yeah. Like herding herding cats. cats. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but Tomo is, um, there's not a day that goes by when Tomo does not create a headache for me and, um, and lovely Jim. Jim, who's who's been with, with the band at the same time as me, their personal assistant. Um, Jim Man is also, he's my assistant as well. And uh, oh my God, poor old Jim. Jim should have no hair. Um, he's, got, he's got a luscious head of hair actually, Jim. But um, yeah, how Jim remains sane, I do not know. Honestly, uh, I cannot tell you how difficult they can be sometimes. Difficult, just with, just with planning and logistics and getting them together, getting them to agree on something, it's, um, it's tough, you know, but that's what makes them so unique. You know, it's like, you know, it's also it's to say that on that, on the recent Palladium stream, the get up, you know, Chrissy Boy was heavily, heavily involved in that. A lot, most of those ideas, you know, Char obviously came from Charlie, but Chrissy Boy had a huge input on that as well, right? There must give Chrissy Boy Foreman some, some kudos on that. Yeah, and uh, uh, just a little bit about the get up. Um, you know, we we get dribs and drabs of, of news about madness over here um, that don't necessarily originate in the UK. Of course, we can 
check in with our UK uh, peers and find out all sorts of stuff. But madness is actually starting to have a little bit of a presence again in the United States, either through commercials or um, in this case, a little bit of um, a little bit in the way of uh, some light media referring to the getup. And um, part of part of that was talking about how you kind of cracked the code a little bit of how to make uh, the live stream interesting by incorporating a story in it. And um, one thing that got written about a bit, and I don't know if this originated in, in the UK media and it just got here, uh, but was talking about uh, just the band being in the audience and heckling themselves. And, and how uh, that uh, made, it, made it both um, endearing and uh, it was an opportunity to do something in the space in between songs. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I thought the references to, um, to The Shining incorporated in the story um, just was always giving me something to, to look for yeah. during, the, during the show. Yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, I was going to say, no matter what, after I saw it, that it was a fantastic show, because that's how I am, because I'm a Madness fan. Uh, but I think I can legitimately say it was just fantastically entertaining. No, it's, in so good, it's so good to hear that. I mean, because we, obviously we do get feedback, but just to see and hear it, um, uh, that's, that's great, because we will, I mean, I was very proud, on the night after I watched it, I was very, very proud. I thought the sound was great as well. Um, over the last um, few months, we've, we've, we've got a new sound engineer and, um, um, and I thought you did a fantastic job. And um, um, yeah, and um, I, the, the, the heckling was interesting because um, that was quite ad-libbed. Um, that was, um, Charlie hadn't written that, um, hadn't scripted that. Uh, so the boys, what they were heckling is probably what they actually believed and what they actually felt at the time, you know. And, and like you say, it's, it's done with great humility, isn't it? You know, they, um, you know, they are laughing at their older self being on stage. And uh, so, um, yeah, no, it's um, it worked quite well. Um, and also the 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 the, the, uh, the room. We, uh, I mean, Mike Mike Barson was very very keen for this, it to be as as realistic as we, I mean, we, we wanted it to look like um, uh, a set, a theater. We wasn't trying to, to make it look like they were in a, in a house, but so it was, it, the whole idea was that it was a theater production. But Mike was very keen to make sure that we had things on the walls and album covers all over, which were based on what he was listening to at the time and what was on the walls in his in his in his London house, and so that was really important. That and the boys were very keen on that, and the, obviously the story of of Suggs going off to see the Chelsea match um, is, is is exactly what happened, and that's why they they, they decided to get rid of Suggs and to audition new new singers. So you know it was all very pretty much based on fact, really. You know. Well, they did such a good job with it too because it wasn't sappy at all i mean these are stories that if, if you are a madness fan you probably know a lot of the history right you know there was madness take it or leave it there were a couple of books about it and and yet it was still fresh you yeah. know the way that they approached it and and whoever came up with that um rockabilly disco heavy metal whoever came with that is absolutely brilliant i laughed every time woody yelled heavy metal yeah I, again i, I mean I, 
Charlie, Charlie, this is Charlie's script, but um, a lot of the um, the ad libs and a lot of the one liners. Um, Chrissy Boy was quite involved in as well, and um, that kind of that all that organically grew in the rehearsals about a week before we went to London Palladium, um, because the boys only the boys are not great at rehearsing. They they're not the hardest working band in the world. I, I, you know they. they They'll come in, they'll do three or four hours work. You know, some bands I'll work do eight or ten hours, you know. But um, but they were in fairness to them, they were rehearsing musically, but they were also thinking about the script and how they would they were they, they wanted to they, they were very concerned or they did not they did not want it to come across that it was so scripted that they they were acting that you know they they Charlie gave them a direction and they and they and they, they went off, but they also then went off at tangents as well and brought their own humour and their own, they stamped their own personalities on it as well, which I think came across really well. And even Weller bought into that as well. When, you know, when Weller says at the end, uh, I'll let you know, that was great because that's in a way that's Weller's, you know, Weller's got an ego as well, you know, and he, he doesn't want all these fans to necessarily think that he's auditioning for madness in reality, you know. He, so by him sort of like off the cuff sound at the end, I'll let you know. It was was just so so funny and uh, so dry, and, and and the boys the boys really enjoyed that as well. All right. All right. If only Suggs had stayed at the football. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what might have happened? Who knows what might have happened? Could have been a real band. They tell me I'm up in the sky. I haven't really done much work on the American tour yet because um, you know I'm waiting for this pandemic to uh, to get resolved. Uh, well, I don't want to spend any more money because um, we also we spent so much money on the last U.S. tour before it got cancelled, like the U.S. visas, like literally a hell of a lot of money. Um, and also we booked all our flights, and um, so we're already in the hole quite a bit. So I don't want to go. I don't want to get go go too soon and start planning um, and preparing. The tour, because I know for sure that we're definitely, uh, I mean, we are coming, um, but you know, God knows, who knows. So I just want to keep, uh, just be careful and uh, not go too soon, you know? So you don't get into being a tour manager, I don't, wouldn't gather, uh, without being uh, an outright music fan. So just for the sake of it, uh, you know, name two or three of your favorite non-madness uh, pop acts. Okay, well, I think one of the artists, I don't know if you guys are going to know this artist, but um, and but the, the boys, the madness boys, and, and all the punks were hugely influenced by this band. It was a band called Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, they're a band from a, a, an area of England called Canby Island in Essex. And um, uh, they were... Uh, huge between say 75 and, and 80 and bands like Ian Dury and Madness and uh, even Sex Pistols and everybody was hugely influenced by Dr. Feelgood. Um, um, 
so you know in bands i mean like new new dolls as well and bands like that so and um jay giles band and people like that so that was my first um that was my first um love um to be honest with you um and then you know i'm trying to think what else after that really i mean i was a huge bowie fan and that was sort of the dream for what the david bowie for me um um what else? Who else? I mean, I mean, I've got a very eclectic uh, taste of music. I, I like everybody, really. But um, um, I mean, Bowie, Peter Gabriel. Um, yeah, I can't really. I mean, so many, so many bands. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. But um, but I, I mean, that's how I got. That's how I. That's how I got into the industry, really, first because of Doctor Feelgood. I was going to see them as a kid, and um, and I was always. It just used to blow my mind that you know I used to wait for the lights to go down and you see the little red LED lights on the on the amplifiers and you'd, you'd see the, the band walking on in the darkness and all of a sudden the first chord and then the lights going on and um, and uh, I was I I I I could play I mean I was I was a decent musician myself but um I was never good enough to be professional and um, so doing this job. Um, you know, as the closest I, uh, I can get to it. And I genuinely love working with musicians. I mean, uh, I, I pinch myself sometimes, some of the amazing, talented people I've worked with. It's, uh, uh, it's been difficult the last um, 15, 18 months, but um, I'm hoping uh, that we can get through it and uh, start performing again. We can't wait. Okay, off topic question. What is your ginger pumpkin kitty's name? Because I saw his tail earlier. All oh, right, that's Christopher. Christopher, yeah. oh, that's a good name. I yeah, Christopher. Christopher. Is, uh, yeah, he was my my son brought him home. He didn't tell me he was bringing him home, but um, yeah. So he's Christopher. He's he's getting old now. I think he's about eleven years old, but he's um he's still quite small. He looks like a kitten, but he's uh he's probably about he's probably about my age in, the, in real terms now, like an old man. Got anything else, Polly? Uh, I, I'm there. Uh, I, I I do. Uh, and, and cut the, cut this out uh, if you'd like to, uh -oh, Lori. Uh -oh, uh -oh. Uh, I I had the good fortune of seeing ELO a couple of years ago, and I just oh, I like it. I, I like. Well, I, I was going to mention ELO because my my um <laughs> sorry before before you tell your story, my um my wife's mother was a huge ELO fan, and my wife uh, I got tickets for. They played Wembley Stadium about two years ago, and um, it was incredible. Um, and my my wife and all her family went. Um, it was kind of almost as a tribute to my my mother-in-law. And um, no, huge ELO fan, huge ELO fan. Well, being a tour manager, you'll probably appreciate this. I I, I do have the Wembley uh, DVD, um, but something that's so integral um, in ELO is that massive, massive uh, production sound that they've got. And yeah. they replicate that so well in concert. It's got to be an amazingly technical show. Too well, though, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it depends. It, it depends. I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I, I was... I mean, listen, first of all, they have, um, without getting too technical and boring, all your American listeners, but they also have an incredible, incredible front house sound engineer called Gary Bradshaw, who's one of the best in the business. So, 
he would make he he makes them sound first of all the band are amazing i mean i know all of the band all very well mike stevens is the musical director donovan on drums and people and and obviously jeff jeff is incredible as well but the front of house guy is amazing but um yeah um I'm just not quite sure how they quite get some of them huge orchestral sounds, but um, but yeah, but that's um, but yeah, no, um, the sound and the production was impeccable. But our boys do okay as well. Yeah, um, so I, I was lucky enough to catch the uh, Sound of Madness tour, and I thought uh, one thing that Madness did really really well was incorporating. The backdrop screens, which everybody does now, um, but it really accompanied the um, the band in uh, in the in the song selection, and it wasn't overdone. Um, and uh, you know, if you've seen some big, I guess a couple of big stage shows recently, I've seen Depeche Mode and Iron Maiden for two ends of the spectrum there, and it's all about the spectacle. Yeah. And it's all massive. Um, and uh, Madness doesn't really uh, rely on that that much, which I think is absolutely fantastic because you want it to be all about the music. So yeah. I, I thought the production was just fantastic on The Sound of Madness. Too. Yeah, we, we spend quite a lot of money on the, on the LED screens of the, the video. And, and again, I, I keep mentioning his name and he should be paying me, really. Chrissy Boy has a, um, a lot to do with the uh, imagery that's on those screens. He really worked hard on that kind of stuff. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, it's in, yeah, you're right. I think you just got to have a, a middle ground. Um, you don't want to, to you, one thing is that what Suggs doesn't want is to constantly see the audience not looking at him and not being with him and all looking at the screen behind him. That's not great. And I do find that a lot of productions lose that. Um, there's people, you know, I, I just think it's, it's such a shame to go and watch a concert and just be staring at, staring at a 40 by 20 screen all night long, uh, especially when the band are up there giving everything, you know. So, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's got to be a happy, a happy medium. Some bands, some bands find it and some bands use it because they don't, they're not doing too much else on stage, you know. Well, and, and also I think, man, it's, it wouldn't be true to who they are if they had you know a lot of you know like ELO with the big spaceship and you know all this other kind of stuff I mean that's just not that's not genuine that's not who madness are you know so I think they really stay true to themselves well that's why in a way that you know last year was it 18 months ago we did the um, electric ballroom you know because we had the um was you aware of that show guys it was the um it was uh, the, the little venue in London where they where they more or less started and um they they kept the ticket prices the same as what they had in 1979 or whatever so i think it was two pounds or something like that and they were on a stage that was like 14 foot wide by 10 foot deep so you know and they and they did an incredible show so we don't need all the you know the dancing girls and the uh, the pyros and the and the and the video uh, we'll use it if we have to um and you know but we can we're quite happy to also do small intimate shows as well and, and be quite confident that the band's uh, repertoire and, their, and the musicianship will get, get the band through, you know? Oh, 
So now I'm curious, um, in a couple of weeks, Polly and I are going to be doing a two-part episode on the liberty of Norton Folgate. Oh. Did you did you have any involvement at all with that stage show that they did at the Hackney Empire or any of that? No, I, that was one of the ones where I was away with another artist, and that's one that Andy would have done. But what I did do, um, la uh, last not last summer, the summer before, was we did um, the Kenwood House show with the forty-piece orchestra. So I put that all together for the band with, um, or with them, of course, but you know, I got the orchestra in and, um, and we started um, with the overture of Norton Folgate. And do you know what? It was incredible. It's still, it was filmed. We filmed that show. Um, I don't know if you, are you aware that that show was filmed? Um, and that is, um, Chrissy, Chrissy uh, directed it and produced it with, with the management company. and. Um, that was one of the highlights working with the band. This band with 40 piece orchestra playing some of the Norton Folgate stuff was just incredible. And that really has to be very challenging trying to coordinate everything with uh, all these additional players. I mean, I, it's enough, I think, having the six or seven guys that you're trying to coordinate yeah. and your, you know, your horn section and your percussion, but yeah. now you have this 40 piece orchestra i mean logistically wow and, uh, yeah so um, wow because obviously sucks used to be in the conductor of the band and um so it's even sucks even even sucks couldn't conduct a 40 piece orchestra but um i mean doing the rehearsals for that was just um fine tingling i mean hearing i mean the, even the band the band you know the band have been doing they've been there and done most things you know but even they were so excited about that show it's probably it's probably the the most exciting thing they've done for quite a number of years. Um, you know, they've done some great stuff. They did the Buckingham Palace rooftop, did the Olympic Games. But um, I, I would say musically, mu that was the highlight of their career for, for many years. Now I'm going to have to go check that one out. because oh, it's, it's, it's incredible. And it was a beautiful night. We had a great audience. Um, Liam, even our friend Liam Gallagher was on the side of the stage, loving it, um, loving it. And um, uh, no, it was the, um, for me, uh, I still, I was buzzing. It's one of the greatest things I've ever done. Um, I'm so proud to, 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 to have done it with the guys. That's amazing. And, and really, I mean, it, it's a testament to you and to the other people, you know, working behind the scenes because... Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize how much is really involved in, in putting together a successful live show, let alone a tour. But uh, we're really excited over here for the tour. Oh. We really are. Everybody I know who's a Madness fan, we're all really buzzing about it. So uh, we can't wait. No, oh, really, I love, I, you're going to love it. And um, we're really looking forward to, 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 to meeting up with all the, uh, the fans. Um, it's going to be fantastic. And, and I'm also looking forward to seeing you guys as well. Hey! 
that was really great, wasn't it, Polly? Yeah, that was great. Um, I had no expectations, didn't really not know what Steve was going to talk about. Uh, but boy, he hit on a lot of stuff that was uh, really interesting to me uh, oh, and yeah. thankful that he was here. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, again, thank you so much for, for joining us and for chatting with us today. Um, so our closing song today, Polly, uh, actually I went to one of our other Stateside Madness uh, administrators, right? We have four people on the team. So I went to Bobby, who is uh, one of our, I guess, uh, I don't know what his formal title is. Does Bobby have a title? Bobby's our... Uh... Wow, he's he's like our liaison from the English beat. Um, he 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 uh, he works very closely with them and knows a lot about uh, the ways of uh, social media for bands and stuff like that. So he decided to to join on with us, and it's been fantastic having him around. Yeah, so he recommended this cover. Uh, I had not heard this before. He recommended it. So this is a, a a band in Oakland, California. Speaking of the American tour, right? There's going to be two days in Oakland. Oakland, California band called Cartoon Violence. It's kind of cool. I kind of dig it. So we'll listen to it on our way out. Um, thank you again for listening. Tune in in two weeks. We're going to do the first of two parts on the Liberty of Norton Folgate. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. Oh, it's going to be awesome. I, I've been looking forward to this for months. I hope it meets, meets my uh, expectations. So thank you again for listening. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. Good morning, miss. Can I help you, son? Sitting today, and at the front, I'm a big boy now. Oh, so they say, well, if you settle me on my way. Balloons with a fit like touch. Pack the party poppers, step up in the night. Two pussies like plastic booms, got you in the corner, just walk in. Welcome to the house of fun, now I'm coming of age. Welcome to the house of fun. Welcome to the lion's den, temptation's on its way. Welcome to the house of fun. No, 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 miss, you misunderstood. Just a big boy. Goodbye, it's fine, my manhood. I'm up to Taylor, thanks to Taylor, so would you serve me on my way? Oh,